You're listening to The Skeptical Saint, a podcast from Building 28 Church. Cynicism is the sickness of my culture. We undress each other with an evil arm. Concentric circles, we look like vultures when we feast on the failures of the lives we criticize. Welcome to the podcast where crippling doubts collide with positional righteousness. This is The Skeptical Saint Show. Boom. I'm your host, Danny Van. I'm the media assistant at Building 28 Church. Yeah, girl. And for every episode, we will have Miss Maggie Seibert. Hello. The director of communications at Building 28. And Mr. Pastor Professor Aaron Curran. <laughs> Preaching Pastor. intern. At building it's your first day. So, Pastor my, my of first teaching day on the job. <laughs> so it's awesome. Thanks for having me here. Yeah. Uh, Thanks so for look, having us. Look, a lot of you have listened to Out of Oz. A lot of you are either members of Building 28 or attend or tune in and watch Building 28. Some of you come to our young adult gathering collective. And so um, if you've already watched our trailer kind of premiering this season, you understand this. But we wanted to launch this show because there are tons of these really crippling fears, as Danny mentioned these haunting questions that nag at us that persist. And, and in the church, I think we've just been instructed for, for decades now to subdue them and cover them up and mm-hmm. not address them. And it's leading, I believe, to an intense level of deconstruction today that we're seeing everywhere in our, around the Christian subculture, so to speak. And so anyway, what we wanted to do is we're wanting to take every single episode, 10 questions, at least that's our goal. We like to talk, so we'll see. <laughs> but 10 questions regarding different subject matters within the church and answer them candidly, answer them logically, answer them intellectually, and answer them, most importantly, biblically, as we all kind of wrestle through these things. So with that said, this is the Skeptical Saint Show. I have to slow down to say that because my tongue gets twisted. Skeptical Saint Show, Skeptical Saint Show. <laughs> and Danny, it's all on you now. You can take it away with these questions that, if I'm honest, we haven't had time to really look over, but we're just trying to <laughs> face them head on. Let's go. Oh, these are actual questions that have come in from mostly believers. But I mean, people once again, younger adult gathering people in the church. Yeah. They're legit. These are, we're not just making these up. These are questions that have been submitted to us and now we're approaching them. So sorry. Yep. Fire away. All right. This is 10 questions on theology. First up, how does human responsibility and God's sovereignty go together? I know Maddie wants to take this first I one. Know. <laughs> Scripture's clear on both of these. And the problem is, I think that, that as Christians, but it really just is as humans, we want to have everything figured out. And when it comes to these higher truths, it's, it's not wrong to just say, I can't fully wrap my mind around how two things that seem in contradiction to one another can both be true. And so I've compared it to, to taking a book or taking a coin, or you should, you should use a lot of different analogies here. I'm always kind of full of analogies that helps me to think through in color. But um, I could take this phone right now, and I could see the backside of this phone, the protective case. The, I have a little flap here where you can open it up and you can put credit cards and driver's license inside. I can see the cameras on the backside, and I can see the intricacy of the designer that made this phone, Apple, uh, and, how, and how they put it together. And then I can turn around, I can actually see the home screen. I can see pictures of my kids, and I can see what time it is and the date, and I can swipe through and hover on my apps. The only thing I can't do is I can't see both the back and the front at the same time. And the problem is not with the phone or with the designer of the phone. The problem is, is with my limited ability to perceive two realities at the same time. I cannot see God's sovereignty and how he's at play in the world and how he's ordaining 
and indirectly or directly causing all things to come to pass. And at the same time, human, like legitimate human responsibility and culpability. But that doesn't mean that both don't exist. Just because I'm limited or we are limited in understanding these things does not mean that both aren't true. And so you have numerous passages of scripture that speak of not only God being in control, but God literally controlling, and, and we could we could kind of nuance out what we mean by direct, like causation or indirect allowance of sorts, but he's in control and controlling these things. And yet at the same time, the choices that we make are very real and have a very legitimate consequence to them. And so there's no need to deny or minimize human responsibility. Like we're all responsible creatures, responsible for the Lord. Um, in salvation, we are, it is on us to repent of our sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's clear. And yet at the same time, we understand conversely that we only repent of our sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ because he has in his sovereign will, his omnipotent power ordained that we would do so. Both are true. Like that's how we reconcile them. Right, Mags? Yeah. But do you believe and then repent or repent and then believe? Oh, is this mm, a follow-up Sorry. Question? <laughs> question number one? Yeah. So we have 11 questions this episode. <laughs> um, not to belabor the same analogy, but I think repentance and faith are same um, two sides of the same coin. Mm. Um, you can't have one without the other because faith is moving towards something and repentance is leaving something. Mm. So if I'm, if I am going to, um, we have a cabin up in Blue Ridge. So if I'm going to go to Blue Ridge, that necessitates that I'm leaving Clearwater. Yeah. Okay. Um, we all understand that. Um, the problem with modern Christianity is that we want to go to Jesus without leaving sin. Yeah. But scripture says we leave sin in repentance, uh, even though we're going to still struggle and we're going to still fall and we're going to still get angry and we're going to still, you know, grow bitter and, and we're going to still sin at times, but we yeah. repent of that continually and by faith move closer to Jesus. And so there's this, this journey of faith whereby we leave, we repent of, we turn from, we're transformed from sin and transform more like Jesus. I love it. Hey, I Good love it too. I love, I love it too. <laughs> so moving towards faith is moving away from sin and moving away from sin is moving towards faith. I want to be clear on this because this is now question 1B. Uh, <laughs> but no, it's a, it's a great question because we don't move toward faith. Hmm. faith is the vehicle it's not the destination hmm. okay so we move toward christ right and so it's it's not when people say oh i have faith that doesn't make a whole lot of sense like you have jesus hmm. and we believe in him like he's the ground of our faith and so when we move toward jesus we move away from sin you can't hmm. jesus doesn't we talked about a lot building for he doesn't wink at our sin he's not okay with it yeah. he knows that we're sinners he knows we're fallen he grieves with us and he saves us from that sin but yeah, as we move toward Jesus, we don't get to carry our baggage along with us. We mm -hmm. repent of that as we move by faith toward Christ. I'm glad you said that because as you're saying it, I was realizing how so many, I feel like celebrities or people that are like, quote unquote, Christian, they always say like, oh, faith is really important to me. Mm -hmm. But yeah. it's like, Jesus, Jesus should be really important. Well, it's like, yeah, yeah, my faith has gotten me through so much. Right. But like, but what does that faith really mean? That just sounds really yeah. hokey and subjective. And, mm -hmm. and even in the church, we do this. And I think that's why it's important for Christians that we're careful with our words and not only what they're communicating to others, but what they're communicating to our own souls. Mm -hmm. Because faith by itself 
doesn't do a whole lot. Faith in it, what? It could be misplaced. It could, yeah. it could it could be in some ambiguous force. It could be faith in faith, which is which is nothing. It's our faith in Jesus that mm-hmm. means something to us and gives us our stability. I like this podcast. Amen. Hey, it's fun so far. <laughs> I mean, we're three minutes in, but it's fun so far. Like Start off with a banger. All right. Ready for two? Numero dos. Maggie's ready this time. <laughs> okay. Yeah. What? Maggie, do my prayers affect God's will? I actually asked this one. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I know you've talked about it before, but do my prayers change God's mind? Okay, so we do not have time on this 25-minute podcast (laughs) to get into the impassibility of God. And what that means is that God is without passions, and his immutability means that God's without mutation, meaning this very simply, God doesn't change like we Mm -hmm. do. He's not prone to... Now, we understand, though, that we do grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We do understand that God moves in power. And by moving, there's, a, there's some type of change. But God in his attributes and in his character doesn't change. And he's not subject God. to the passions, reactive passions. Like we react like if I you know, say something mean to Danny Van, um, she gets her feelings hurt or she gets angry and, and reacts to that. Yeah. And the reason why is because... A, yes, what I said was hurtful, but but B, because she was surprised by that. Like, yeah. like I, I just never expected this of you. I thought we were friends. Well, God's never taken by surprise in anything. So when we come to him in prayer and we're like, Lord, please answer this petition that I have. It's not like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know that that, that was mm. going on. Um, he already knew it. But what he does is it's very clear from Scripture. So James 4.3 says you don't have just you don't ask, which implies very heavily that if we ask. We would receive Luke 11, 8 and 9 says the same thing with the the widow who comes to Jesus or or the, I think Jesus is using the analogy there. But he says the widow who persistently asked the judge and finally because of her persistent asking, the judge gives her what she needs. And then he follows up by saying, therefore, ask and will be given. Seek and you'll find knock and will be open. And so uh, it, there does seem to be indication, pretty clear and heavy indication in scripture that God does answer prayer, that he moves in answering prayer in a way that he wouldn't move if we hadn't prayed. Mm -hmm. And yet at the same time, theologically speaking, we understand we kind of pull back the curtain and look at God's will. And he's decreed the end from the beginning, Isaiah 49 or 46, 9 and 10. Okay, so just track with me really quick. If Danny were to not pray for something, then it wouldn't come to pass. But if she does pray, it does come to pass. But whichever of those avenues she chooses has already been mapped out and planned and foreordained so that if she doesn't pray, she's culpable for that and the consequences are dire. But if she does pray, it's because God has pressed upon her heart to pray and brings about his desired outcome through that. Mm -hmm. And so in in one sense, sure, you just say that like our prayer, like Spurgeon said, prayers, the rope that rings the bell in the ear of God, like. But we understand that he's saying that kind of tongue in cheek because it's not like God needs a doorbell or an yeah. alarm clock. Hey, you know? look at me. Yeah, like he's he's omniscient. He mm-hmm. sees and knows everything. And so in in one sense, things do happen in the world that wouldn't have happened if, if we hadn't prayed. But in another sense, there's no dual reality where there's a reality where we didn't pray or we do. We do one or the other is true. It's always been true. It's always been in the plan of God. Yeah. And he's going to respond accordingly to that. And he knew all along. Yes. Whatever. Yeah. And planned all along. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for answering my question. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> it's, yeah. What happens to the person who never has the chance to hear the gospel? Do they go to hell even though they haven't heard of Jesus? 
You got this one, Mags. Romans 1. Romans 1. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I got. We're all responsible for figuring out who has made the things that we can see. And there's an innate like desire inside of us to know that there's something more for us. Boom. Yeah, I mean, that's it. That's Romans 1 paraphrased. But. The modern Maddie translation <laughs> of scripture. But if that person, like, I know it's called like the man on the desert island mm -hmm. argument or whatever. So is that person literally supposed to like leave the island and like go figure it out or something? You know what I mean? Hmm. So. The argument from Romans 1 again is that we can all look up and see from creation yeah. that there's a creator, and it's on us then to figure out what that creator demands of us. Okay. And if we flippantly cast that off, mm. then Paul says in Romans 1 that we're without excuse because we can know our conscience is convinced, yeah. our mind is convinced, even those who tried to deny it, I would believe vehemently they know that there's a creator there. Now, if they just want to espouse a deistic creator who's not not in touch and involved with humanity and um, and all that's going on in the world, and most of the time they espouse that due to suffering, which we'll get to in another podcast, yeah, then that's fine. Like they can have that, but it's on all of us to to put serious consideration into who is this God and what does He require for reconciling? Because because what we can do is we can also look around not just from creation and see there's a God, but we can look around and tell Sin. that the world is not as it should be. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Like this, is, this sure. is, this is a really broken, messy, painful, weighty place. What is required to, to put this back together, to yeah. restore this thing? And so I would say that the person in a tribal place, or let's say even say here in a neighborhood in America that never hears of Jesus, because sometimes we'll go to inner cities and we'll encounter somebody who's never heard of Jesus yeah. or never seen a Bible. Um, doesn't matter that what scripture reveals is that while nature itself is insufficient to tell us who the God is that we're supposed to serve, doesn't give us the name of Jesus, doesn't tell us about yeah. substitutionary atonement or the resurrection or salvation by faith in Christ. What it does, though, is it convinces us that there is a God mm -hmm. and, and directs us toward the fact that we need to discover who this God is and what he requires of us. Yeah. So in summary, someone who doesn't have the quote unquote chance to hear the gospel should be seeking out the gospel, basically. Yeah. This is 3B. So I'm I'm just I'm trying to keep track. <laughs> I was of just trying to no, 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 no. I love it. Like I love it. I love it because <laughs> it also brings into an, another another question. I'm sure we'll get into more of a discussion, and we talked about this on our other podcast, Out of Oz, a full discussion in season one. But when we say chance, we're talking about cognitive chance. Now, I think that's what Romans one's pushing for. So this does not include like babies, mentally mm. handicapped individuals, things, uh, um, people of that nature and yeah. makeup that can't understand. They could look at nature all day long and not understand there's a God. Like well, my, my three-year-old, even right now, he can look up and see there's creation and not get that, hey, there's a God who created this all. I'm not talking about that. And yeah. whether we're talking about age of accountability or age of cognition, whatever, we'll get to that another time. I'm talking about those who are cognitively able to understand that there is a creator, There's there, that creation demands the existence of a creator. It's pretty unarguable, I believe. Creation demands the existence of a creator. What does that creator demand? Hmm. So everyone has a chance because then they could leave their tribe, leave their neighborhood, yeah. leave their island. And which there's actually been multiple stories of that very thing happening where oh, someone was convinced and left their their tribe in Papua New Guinea to find out and was let were led to a mission and encountered Christ there. So, wow. yeah. So you're saying there's a chance. 
More than one in a million, Max. <laughs> no such thing as no chance. Okay. Is there a way to, quote, let God change me? Is there some aspect of it where I need to get out of the way? I hate the phraseology when people say, I, I hate the word allow, period. Even mm. though I've used it in this podcast, which is the best we can do with God's indirect will, I think. God's allowance. Yeah. But I hate when people are like, God, help, allow me not to send today. Like, he would prefer that you not. So, yeah, he's, he's definitely <laughs> doing more than allow you not to. As a matter of fact, when you don't sin, it's because he's actually, like, slaying that sin in your life while you are simultaneously putting it to death or mortifying that mm-hmm. sin. And then, the same, and then conversely, we don't let or allow God do anything. Right. Like, it's not like we let God move in our life or allow the Spirit to work. Like, he does whatever he wants. He's God. And so um, that's just my little soapbox there um, before we get to the actual question. Right. And so when we say, let God, I'm sorry. I, I, that was a, I just kind of diverged there. Like, is there a way that I can let God change me? And is there a way that I can get in the way of my sanctification? Because it's like, oh, let God do this amazing work in your life. Let God blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it means well, because it's like, stop getting in your own way, essentially. But yeah, if God is sovereign, which we would agree that he is, how can I, do you get what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, and I'm, look. I'm, <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I, I, no, no. I'm a grammarian, <laughs> like I, uh, yeah. a, a, especially when it comes to theology, and so things just frustrate me or annoy me at times. Yeah. And I apologize. You'll learn that if you haven't listened to my podcast or my preaching before. I'll backpedal a little bit here. So I've compared it once again, analogy to me being in the house with my children in the same room with my children. I yeah. see everything they're doing, and they'll ask me if they can do something, and I will permit them. To do that, but there is a very real sense in which I'm actually in a, more than just enabling, I am actually empowering them to do that because they're in my house eating my food under my care. So without that, they would not even have the power to do that. Mm-hmm. And there are times where right in front of me they'll disobey. And I permit that. I don't I don't cause that, even though I've given them the power to do that. Like like they'll disobey and it frustrates me. It frustrates my heart. And there's consequences that come with that. Yeah. But each of those things are a learning experience for my children where I'll correct them and, and chastise if necessary and disciple them and instruct them. And, and they learn through that. And I think when we talk about God permitting or allowing certain things, um, my children don't let me do anything. Yeah. So that completely falls apart. But, but there is a certain aspect of me allowing my children. I think there's a certain aspect, okay, of... God empowering us toward righteousness. I think that's why I don't like the word allow or let, because it's very passive. God's never passive when it comes to our sanctification. He's active in that. But he is, uh, I don't know if you'd use the word passive, but there is a permittance when it comes to our struggles, our failure, our disobedience, um, us getting in the way, um, us, you know, like people will come and be like, you've heard me talk about it so many times, Max, you've been here for a long time, but People will come up afterwards on Sunday morning or they'll email and be like, I have no assurance of my salvation. We'll start just kind of walking through their life and they're like living in sin, yeah. sleeping with their boyfriend, not faithful to the local church, not faithful in witness, whatever. It might be super bitter, wrapped up in bitterness toward their mom or dad or whoever. And I'm like, well, scripture is pretty clear that we're not going to have that peace and assurance if we're living in that sin. So mm-hmm. hopefully that answers at yeah, least a little bit. It does. Question. Did we answer question four? Yeah, what number are we on? How are we doing? Well, that was four. That's like four. No, that was F. that was five. <laughs> oh, that's five. Okay. To six. What is meant by the unforgivable sin, quote, blasphemy against the spirit? And is it possible for a Christian to commit the unforgivable sin? 
Um, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, I think really simply is, it's not cursing the Holy Spirit verbally, though you shouldn't do that, clearly. Um, but blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, biblically, is the full and final rejection of Jesus, which is the only sin you can't come back from. So, no, a believer can't commit the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. They could grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Yeah. They could even curse the Spirit of God in a moment of weakness. Um, but they cannot reject Christ because they're a believer. They've been led to faith in Christ by the Spirit. And so when someone suppresses the work of the Spirit in their life, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So we believe here in what's called irresistible grace, meaning that when the Holy Spirit awakens your heart, he will draw you to salvation. Like you, it's, un, I call it unstoppable grace because yeah. it's, just un, it's just an unstoppable reality of the force of the third person of the Trinity. He will get what he wants according to the plan of the Father. But at the same time, there are unbelievers who are not awakened, but they're still convicted of sin. Like we're, you know, you've been to camp or you've been in a church service where the preacher delivers a powerful message and people are crying and like maybe two or three of them are like legitimate and you can see the work of the spirit going on there where it's more than just conviction yeah. or guilt association with sin and they come to faith and it continues after that. Like Jonathan Edwards in his book, Religious Affections, always talked about that, that it's not because he was a part of the first great awakening in America in the 18th century and all these people would like become fanatical mm -hmm. um, around their faith and in Christ. And he goes, you know, the, the telltale sign is a month later, six months later, a year later, five years later, like are, how straight is their walk then? And it's yeah. not gonna be perfect. And it's not your walk that saves you. It's your mm -hmm. faith in Christ, but your walk proves whether your faith was legitimate or illegitimate a lot yeah. of times. And so, you know, when it comes to the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, only an unbeliever can do that because it's, and we don't know until their life really is over if they've fully committed themselves to that. Like I love Christopher Hitchens, um, one of the most famous anti-theists of all time. I've read all his stuff. He was brilliant. But it would seem that even though the Holy Spirit worked in his life, and even though he suppressed a lot of truth, and even though he had a lot of Christian friends, that he died in, in blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and full rejection of Christ. Same with mm -hmm. Karl Marx, same with, you know, so many different philosophers and sociologists and even religious skeptics throughout history. And, um, and so that's what we mean by blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So unbelievers can have the work of the Holy Spirit convict them? And like be at work in their lives, well, they but do. not save them. I would even say a lot of us, right? Even yeah. before we came to Christ. Like I came yeah. to Christ at 19, but I, I think I started experiencing the conviction of the Holy Spirit age six, seven, right. eight, 10, 11, 13, like throughout my yeah. life. I, I know this is wrong. Mm. And it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance eventually. Yeah. And um, both prior to regeneration and then once we're regenerated, leading to this positional righteousness that Danny mm -hmm. talked about at the outset, this justification in Christ. How do we know the Bible is really God's word? The Bible says it. I love it. The simplicity. Circular reasoning. It's not, though. Tell me why. <laughs> oh, That's man. what people would say. They would say, you can't use the Bible to say that the Bible's true. Well, you can use the Bible if the Bible has not been refuted. Mm. Meaning that if the if internal internal testimony says this is the word of God, this is the revelation of God, this is perfect and true, yeah. which the Bible does in numerous places, and then it's refuted, then then it's found to be an error. Then you're like, okay, this it was the internal testimony is lying about itself, and yeah. so we can't trust that. But when it stands for two thousand years, and there's been attacks, and look, I get it, and we'll get to this on a different podcasts as well, maybe this season or maybe in Out of Oz. But there's been so many people over the centuries that that claim contradictions in the Bible. Look. Here's the deal. If any of the contradictions were legitimate, like actually legitimate and not easily explainable away on these supposed contradictions, yeah. there are tons. As a matter of fact, leading up to the 19th century, 
uh, in the 20th century, almost every brilliant philosopher, composer, author, like you name it, was a firm believer in and follower of Jesus. And even those who were not ascribed to Judeo-Christian principles. Mm -hmm. Why? Because it is an intellectual process and pursuit, the Christian faith. It really is. Um, we've minimized it and stupefied it in the last 50, 60 years. Yeah. But it, when taken seriously, it is, it is a lot. quite robust. <laughs> like, yeah, there's, yeah. there's a depth to it and a weight something that's intriguing, even where guys today like Jordan Peterson, um, most probably, probably the most brilliant man alive today, is a ardent, I think, believer, at least in the Jeffersonian view of Scripture, and now seemingly in the last few months, a, a more traditional Christian view of Scripture. And so the idea, I don't know, like the idea that Christianity is not like an intellectual pursuit is, it's just a modern attack on the faith. But um, all that to say, I do think that there is great internal testimony pointing to both Old Testament and New Testament, pointing to the legitimacy of Scripture. Um, there's great church history that validates this. If yeah. you study the the articles of canonicity and how we got Scripture, it was a rigorous, intense process. Um, the, the 66, the few books, that's, that's a very few books in the grand scheme of things, the 66, and especially the 27 in the New Testament that we got. And then there's great external evidence as well. Uh, Josephus. Point, point this. And yeah, <laughs> Josephus, Tacitus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but there's, there's multiple, Herodotus, there's multiple historians yeah. that, that claim the legitimacy of Scripture. There's archaeological evidence. There's scientific evidence. Scripture is not a scientific textbook by any means, but there's nothing scientific in Scripture has been invalidated. As a matter of fact, mm. um, scientific statements have been made in the Old and New Testament that were not discovered until centuries later. They were laughed at mm. in the moment. And um, like the flow of blood, the cycle of water, the spherical um nature of the earth yeah. uh just things like that where you're like you know it's the fact that the earth sits upon nothing that was laughed at forever like he hangs the earth on nothing and the old testament says this and it was laughed at forever like it has to be hanging on something and yeah. then we realize it's it's not hanging on anything it's just being held in place by a gravitational pull and so just things like that um and there's so much more but the the scripture is a is a collection of ancient manuscripts written in the lifetime, typically of eyewitnesses of the events, which holds incredible credibility, that speak of legitimate things that took place that have never been insubstantiated. So um, I get that people will always attack scripture and yeah. we're just living in that age now where people somehow are comfortable by believing nothing, which is really weird. Yeah. But, um, but scripture has stood the test of time. And uh, I love one of my favorite theologians who's now passed always used to say um the bible will outlive its pallbearers and it's the truth like you know people will try to bury it again and again yeah and it just keeps keeps on going just the truth one of my favorite parts that i comfort myself with believing that the scripture is what the scripture says it is is like all the prophecies that said it was going to happen and then it did come to pass yeah. and like all the things that jesus said he was and then he did yeah so that always and then, blows and then my people mind. Pick There's apart no that and they're way. Like, oh, it only came true because like his followers wrote about this and wanted it to be true. No. And, I, and I'm, I'm like, well, those followers, like, <laughs> A, they gave their life for that yeah. message. Like you wouldn't just, if you're just writing like a legend, oh, Jesus fulfilled this. And then like, they're about to crucify you. You're like, no, no, no. None of them refuted it. Like they all willingly they gave their lives. And it wasn't just his followers. It was, as we've mentioned, Tacitus, Roman historian, Josephus, Jewish historian, and multiple other historians in the first four centuries of the church that are verifying these accounts. But even with the spear and the side thing, like 
that would be like Hollywood production to make all that stuff happen. Yeah. That was prophesied about him. Yeah. Number eight, seven, six, four. What are we on? Eight. Okay, this one's for Aaron. I haven't been Thank doing a good you. job at that. <laughs> First time podcast hosting. You're doing great. Doing great. Yeah. Aaron, do you think we have guardian angels? Whoa. I haven't asked Whoa. this one in a while. <laughs> you haven't? Not in a minute. Um, Spicy. What is a guardian angel? What would you say that is? And then do we have them? Well, I mean, Precious Moments has That's done a, good a really question. good job of <laughs> rendering for us. No, um, I don't think there's biblical evidence for one particular guardian angel over anyone. And what people fail to realize is we don't need a guardian angel. Um, these are messengers from the Lord. Um, these are, in fact, in, in essentially guardians. Um, I used to love reading spiritual warfare stuff, and I still love talking about spiritual warfare at times, um, demonology and angelology. But look. We have a God who is intimately, intricately involved with every one of our lives. And while he does commission his angels with messengers, with, with messages, with comfort, and even with protection, so to speak, um, while there is cosmic warfare going on around us, and like to get a glimpse into that or to imagine what that's like is pretty profound, it's our God ultimately who protects us. And, and one of his angels doesn't stand a chance in comparison to his power and his mm -hmm. might. And so um, while his angels do his bidding, their ultimate purpose is to glorify the Son as is ours. And we do that through our worship in multiplicity of ways. And so do they. But I don't think there's there's evidence that we each have like our own little like cherub who's like <laughs> stringing a harp and watching over us. You know, that's... Hey, but if you want to believe that, <laughs> go ahead. Be my guest. But then also, so there are no guardian angels, and there's definitely not people who believe that, like, their grandfather died, and now he's their guardian angel. He couldn't even protect himself. Right. But is there people in heaven that you knew that were Christians who have now died that are, like, watching over you? Like, are like can you do that? Well, maybe we don't know. So... I got a lot of questions. Yeah, yeah. I mean, aren't they too busy? The, the, to be to be completely honest yeah. with you guys, Scripture is rather silent on what happens in this intermediate intermediate state between mm -hmm. death and the resurrection of our bodies, which will come when Jesus comes back. So, for your grandfather's passed away, mother, father, friend, whoever, even when when the time comes where we pass, if Jesus hasn't come back, then. What we know is to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so it's not a soul sleep as like some false religions would teach. We're actually like, you know, with the Lord. Um, but our body is still here. And then at his second coming, our body is resurrected and meets our spirit in the air with the Lord. And we reign with them forever. So the idea of them watching over us, that could be true. The idea of... I mean, I, to, it's all speculative, to be yeah, honest with you. They're right. with the Lord. They're with the Lord. And so, but they could be watching, observing, seeing with a clarity that we don't possess of, wow, like I can see, like they don't grieve as as we do because we have hope, but it's veiled hope because we still live in the sin-saturated mm -hmm. world. Now they see with a clarity because they have, you know, First Corinthians 2, I believe it is, where they have the mind of Christ now, like they're they're given the mind to understand these things and the higher purposes of God. And I said at the collective um, last month that, that God's cosmic purposes are so much beyond our temporal pain. We can't understand that, but like he has that. It's, it's yeah. there. And so I don't, I, I don't ascribe to any type of belief that um, I don't think you're in heresy or anything if you think that you're like great grandma is like a guardian angel. Mm -hmm. I just think it's far-fetched and kind of absurd. 
I'm glad you talked about the clarity thing because I was like thinking to myself because there's no sorrow, there's no tears, there's no like grieving like you said in heaven. So my thinking, like I don't know how I could be in heaven and watching like my loved ones on earth without grieving. You know what I mean? Like how do you watch them go through whatever it is that they're ultimately going to go through, which is pain on the earth and sorrow without it's, okay, so it has to be compared to, and I know we're going to have a whole pain and suffering show, right? What's up? That's yep. an episode coming up. And I know this was stretching a little long. Just hang with us, all right? <laughs> Sorry. Hang, hang with us. No, I'm enjoying it. I, I, I love hanging with you guys, but just for our listeners, we lied about the whole 25-minute thing. But it has to be like, like in the moment when I reprimand or scold or discipline my little girl who's five. She adores daddy. She's my girl. I love her. Her whole world is shattered in that moment. And this is the worst it could possibly be, even though we realize just how trite that is. We're like, oh, daddy got on to you. Like daddy gave you a discipline. Daddy won't give you candy because you, you know, you acted out. It could get a lot worse, kid. You know, but you're just like in that moment, she, her mind is so clouded with her limitations that this is the worst it could possibly be. And yet we all realize the reason I'm not giving her candy and the reason I am disciplining her is because I'm preparing her for adulthood and for, you know, to be an upstanding citizen, responsible, and Mm -hmm. hopefully a follower of Jesus. And uh, so I'm preparing for a bigger purpose, but her her world is shattered. I think those on the other side, uh, clearly, those who have gone on, who have passed away in Christ, and they're now present with the Lord, they have a much clearer understanding that all that we go through in this life, as heavy and painful and awful as it is, I mean, Paul basically says trite Mm -hmm. in comparison with the glory that will be revealed. Like they understand now there's a better understanding. And, and I'm not saying I have that understanding because I'm still on this side. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I get, I get it intellectually that like there's a grander, greater, more cosmic purpose in all of this. But in the moment, I'm much like my five-year-old. I just feels like life is over. Like it can't get heavier. It can't get darker than this. Also, I mean, I love to think, I always say that heaven's going to be far better than we could ever imagine. Like it's just better. And so I love to think, especially because I like history. But I, I would love to just like have like a little a little joystick where I can just fast forward and rewind through time mm-hmm. and see like the dynasty rise and see the emperor think that he's God on earth and see him come crashing down and see the sorrow and see the pain and then see the beauty of the reason for that. Like all of that to me is, I mean, we can already see in part because we have history. Like yeah. we can see how God has brought such triumph through agony. We even see that in the in the life. This is, we're recording this here in December, right before Christmas. We see it in the incarnation. Like there was so much tragedy and so much mystery and so much darkness and so much heaviness. And yet through the greatest pain, the virgin conceiving, which was shady and scandalous, Jesus being born in Nazareth, Jesus being rejected by his people, Jesus being crucified by the Romans, Jesus being laid in a borrowed tomb, but Jesus rising again in triumph and victory. We see through the darkest of pain, God's mystery being revealed. And I think those on the other side see that with a lot more clarity than we do here. Mm. I'm just picturing being in heaven and like watching all of time as a movie with God. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, who knows what it'll be like, but it'll be grand beyond our comprehension here. Amen. Okay. Two more questions. We can probably get through them quick. Maggie, we have dominion over the earth and animal sacrifice. Why do you give me the animal sacrifice (laughs) question? (laughs) I feel like is it animal abuse? I mean, Oh, sorry. Wait, let me finish, finish the it. question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we have dominion over the earth and animal sacrifices are throughout the Bible, but does that permit animal abuse? 
I mean, I don't think that God would be like, yeah, go abuse your dog or go abuse your animals or whatever. But then at the same time, it is throughout the Bible. But so is like murder, you know, like murder of people. Scripture actually says that a righteous man takes care of, regards his beast, Hmm. his animal. Like a righteous person does that. The sacrificial system in the Old Testament served a very divine purpose. And so that was not seen as, I mean, yes, they're, they're killing the animal just like we would. Look, I'm not a vegetarian. Surprise, surprise. Like I'm a carnivore all the way. And just like I, just like I know that the chicken gets its head cut off to make my, my delicious Chick-fil-A sandwich or the cow gets butchered um, for me to have my cheeseburger. Like I get all those things and I'd be, I'd be troubled if the butcher was unnecessarily inflicting pain and torment yeah. on the animal, like mm-hmm. that would be weird to me. I almost like wouldn't want to eat that meat. Like that'd be weird. But to to kill an animal for a purpose, I have no problem with. And mm-hmm. that's what the sacrificial system did. It was there wasn't a tor- torment process that involved there. The the throat was slit, the blood was poured out, the animal was offered up as a sacrifice, and then it was used. The blood was used, the the uh, entrails were used. In the sacrificial system, the meat was used for the feeding of the priest. And so, yeah, there's no, there's nothing in scripture that would say, once again, like people just try to grasp, I'm not saying you guys clearly, because you're, you're followers of Christ and everything, but, but skeptics would just grasp at anything. anything they can to try to, try to attack or marginalize the Bible and, and the Bible, just like it never promotes slavery in the Bible. Yeah. It doesn't promote like the abuse of animals in scripture either, or sex trafficking or any of these things that people like to try to sling at scripture. Yeah. And so, um, no. We should not abuse our animals. We should take care of our animals. We should regard them highly. And if they, if an animal has to be killed for a purpose, well, primarily now in our day for food, just sacrifices have been abolished, yeah. then great. Look how many animals God saved on the ark. True. All of them. <laughs> so that we would have beef them. today. Tonight. 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 <laughs> okay, do you want this last one? I don't know. It's the gifts one. Here we go. Just, just, just say it and just shoot it out. It. Number ten, Maggie. <laughs> okay, are the spiritual gifts of prophecy, healing, and tongues still active today? The answer is yes, or it, so it would seem. There's nothing in Scripture that says that it has ceased. Um, the only thing that people can point to is First Corinthians 13, where it says that, that when that which is perfect has come, and that which is in part will be done away with. And they'll say the perfect is Scripture, but in context, the perfect is clearly the second coming of Jesus, and so. When Jesus comes back, we won't need any of the, these gifts anymore because he'll restore all things. And so um, it would seem that, look, the, the gifts of prophecy, tongues, healing, these sign gifts were not necessarily, I don't think, normative or daily in the New Testament. It wasn't like people were just going around speaking in tongues every, every Monday. Um, it, was, it was specific, miraculous instances of healing or, you know, Pentecost where they they spoke and there's different yeah. forms of tongues which we don't have time on this episode to get into but three different forms of tongues in the New Testament that are used one of which requires an interpreter one of which you know people can hear in their own languages another angelic tongue so there's different tongues that are there um also I'm a preterist like that's not you can go back and listen to from out of Oz to our eschatology podcast um and I get my preterist friends arguments a partial preterist by the way but I get their arguments that all these signs and gifts were kind of like a turn signal in the car mm-hmm. um when you put your turn signal on it's showing that you're about to turn it's giving a warning to those behind you hey this is coming up and once you turn you don't need to keep your turn signal on anymore well the signs and these these sign gifts were a sign um, from the book of Joel, that Messiah was going to come. And then he came. And so my my partial preterist friends, they're much like myself, but I would disagree on, on this issue. They would say that when when Jesus came, 
That was the turn. That was the, 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 so there's no reason to keep the signal on any longer. I just can't, I can't go that far and I can't buy into that, that not that I could limit God. I hate when people say don't limit God, but I don't want to portray him as limited. Like the spirit of God can do whatever he wants. And there are accounts around the globe of people speaking in tongues. There are accounts of miraculous healing. We have to be careful with this because I think it gives people false um, belief that like, oh, I'm going to be healed of this cancer or I'm going to um, this person. I can speak with prophecy over your life. And if it doesn't come true, who cares? And I'm like, no, no, you should be stoned now. Yeah, um, you know, but, but, but just because people abuse the gifts, I don't think that means that the, the, the gifts um, have ceased. That's, That's it. it. That's it. We did it. First episode. The Skeptical St. Joe. Look forward to season Season episode one, episode two, (laughs) next time. Thanks for listening to The Skeptical Saint. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen. The Skeptical Saint is produced by Building 28 Church and Podcast Royale. You can find out more about this show and Building 28 by visiting theskepticalsaint.com. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can get each one automatically by subscribing in your favorite podcast app.